This edition of the EdSurge On Air podcast is brought to you by the EdSurge Fusion Conference, an invitation-only event for school and district leaders. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Ed Surge On Air podcast. I'm your co-host, Mary Jo Matta. Now, this is actually going to be my last podcast because I am leaving Ed Surge, but I wanted to really go out with a bang, and there's two women in particular that I've been dying to bring on this podcast. What does it have to do with? Well, the maker movement. These days, it's not just about having a makerspace anymore. Schools are trying to figure out how to bring making into every facet of the school day with mobile kits, clubs, and more. Now, when it comes to incorporating making into everyday curriculum, Cecily Day and Nicole Taylor are experts. Cecily works in Oakland, California, at an elementary school as an instructional teacher leader, where she helps support teachers and students in ELA and math and in the computer lab. Then, two time zones over, Nicole Taylor is a blended learning specialist in a Dallas, Texas suburban school district, where she supports pre-K to 12th grade teachers and students with all things digital teaching and learning. But despite the work of on-the-ground educators like these two women, the maker movement in K-12 schools is far from perfect. What does it really take, for example, to diversify the communities of maker educators and mentors out there? And how does one respond to educators or critics who claim that maker education is just a fad? To debate and discuss these questions and more, Day and Taylor came onto the EdSurge podcast, and we're going to get to that right after this. The EdSurge Fusion Conference is an invitation-only event for school and district leaders from around the country. They'll be coming together in the San Francisco Bay Area from November 1st to the 3rd to talk about personalized learning and school transformation. If this sounds interesting to you, please request an invitation or learn about sponsorship opportunities by going to the following bit.ly link, bit.ly slash edsurgefusion. That's one word. Again, bit.ly slash edsurgefusion. All right, listeners, welcome back. I've got Nicole Taylor and Cicely Day on the podcast in a few moments to discuss the realities of maker education and what it takes to push that space to be more inclusive. They've done a lot in their classrooms, with the teachers they've worked with, with the students they've taught, and they've got a lot of ideas. So let's get to the interview. So I am here with two fabulous educators and makers of color, and both of you ladies, from what I've seen both online and in conversations I've had with you both in the past, um, do bring the maker movement into your practices. So talk to me, and Nicole, we'll start with you first. Talk to me a little bit about how you integrate um, practices of making into what you do with both teachers and with students. So I really think right now um, I'm looking at it as more of a a digital making um, standpoint in our district, just really trying to get teachers used to seeing um, digital tools as a part of just what we do every day and not just something extra that you plan for, some extra fluff, but really getting them to see that students should not only be consumers of things when it comes to technology, but we also want them to be you know, to be makers and we want them to create and we want them to be able to share their genius with the world. So I try to build up their confidence 
cabinets um, with digital making with tools from coding to website creation to um, different things that they can create so that students can participate. And as I work with them to build up their confidence, it opens doors um, for us to work with students to do the same. Excellent. Cecily, what about you? So this year, um, I got a grant from the Abundance Foundation to do maker mobile bags. So our teachers and students will be checking out bags so they can um, have some explorations. Uh, we had a workshop already around how to incorporate um, agency by design maker thinking capacities um, around what they're already doing. And then think about what they can use um, our different maker mobile bags for to incorporate into the curriculum that they have already. Um, I'm also have a, um, a mouse squad club, which is starting in a couple of weeks. And I'll be, I will be doing a coding club. And right now it looks like it's gonna be all girls because <laughs> all girls signed up. So I'm a big fan of that. I'm so gay. Um, so that's what I'm doing this year. Um, last year I had an um, after-school makers club and we did coding with our, oh, we're also doing coding with our third graders um, again this year. So um, we're just really trying to incorporate more making um, into what we're doing this year and build from there. Now, as a former science teacher, I, I think that this is fantastic. Um, but at the same time, and I wonder if you ladies have come up against this, Every once in a while, when I talk to educators, there are those who tell me that they think making is a pain, you know, that it takes away from other instructional practices. You know, oh, we have to focus on the tests that the kids are taking at the end of the year. So bringing in making is just going to be too much. How do you guys react to somebody who, who says that? Well, I think a lot of times people come from that angle when they really haven't experienced making, you know, when they, they really don't have experience um, being, you know, creating something new. Um, my thing, I actually work with Cicely. Cicely, remember I reached out to you last year and I asked you to help me get some things together for a mobile makerspace? Yes, I remember that. It was fun. Yeah. And so we have some things that teachers can check out in our district as part of our mobile makerspace. I think a lot of times teachers are just reluctant to try anything when it comes to making, when it comes to coding, when it comes to you know, trying just different things because they don't see where it fits into. I think anytime someone says it doesn't fit into what students are supposed to know or the standards, I really think they just don't have enough experience to see how they can, you know, make the, the fun, the making marry with what the, the state says that um, students should know by the end of the school year. Okay, I see what you're saying. Would you say, Cicely, that that's similar to your experience, or would you have you seen sort of different responses? I think it's a mixture of both. I think it's that and fear. I think in my case, um, there we did a, um, a take apart activity with our teachers, and they saw screwdrivers and 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 other equipment, and they kind of freaked out because they thought, oh, we have to do this with our students, and we shouldn't use these tools. <laughs> and so they, there was kind of a freak out moment at first. And um, and I think it, it ha I think there has to be kind of a side-by-side -side relationship to kind of ease teachers into understanding what, they're, what it is exactly that they're do doing. And also getting over the fear that someone's going to cut off a finger or poke somebody. Um, 
you I think I think because they see all these tools and equipment and this stuff, it's like, oh, is this gonna be safe? And I don't know if I can do this, and I'm not sure. I think a lot of it comes out of just not 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 sure if they can do it, and also just fear. I think once they see an action and and they kind of let you know, let it kind of settle and give them some time to kind of process what's happening, then there's buy-in. That's, I completely agree with that. I also, something that you said earlier, Nicole, resonated with me, which is this fact that you and Cecily sort of work together. You know, there was a relationship component to it. And I'm wondering, do either of you have a maker role model from an underrepresented background, like someone who sort of brought to you inspiration to bring making into your classrooms or districts? Oh, I'll definitely say Cicely. I've reached out to Cicely a lot. Um, a lot of questions when it comes to, to, to making and coding and getting teachers on board and rolling things out. Um, I've also, Ruffram Davis does a lot of digital making. I've also um, reached out to her when it comes to specific things when it comes to um, digital Oh my God. Well, I love Nicole. Nicole knows, knows that. I just totally love all the stuff that she's doing and she's awesome. Um, so I have her, I have Rufrans Davis, who is amazing and um, always willing to help. Um, I have my mother who is like the queen of all makers. Um, I think everything that she's done has, has resonated with me so much. And even though she doesn't like to talk about it, I kind of just really i really feel like everything she's done has helped me do what i do now um as a teacher and as a maker so yeah i have i have a few role models there's there's a few people out there uh, my friend anika barber who's um a gallery owner in oakland who brings in these amazing people um yeah fabiana rodriguez there's a lot of folk that in the bay area that do a lot of amazing things so I think I'm I'm very lucky to be surrounded by awesome women of color, smart and you know powerful women of color who really um, use their platform to you know help push and promote um, uh, making for all. So yeah, I remember. So back in 2016, we actually had a woman of color, Suzette Duncan, write about the ways that the maker movement could be more inclusive of both people of color and females. Do either of you guys have specific tips or recommendations for how that could happen? Because I know that, unfortunately, when I go to maker events, the lack of diversity is still blatantly obvious, both in terms of gender and in terms of race and ethnicity. So what do you think could happen to shape uh, the maker movement to reflect more of the diversity of people that are interested in creating and hacking and tinkering? I think the first thing is that we we have to be there um, and be present. And it's funny because we've had this conversation um, before and about other spaces. I think the biggest thing is um, being there and, and being present and, and making sure that what we learn, that we actually take that back and allow students to learn it and experience it. If we really you know, want to, to see diversity when it comes to you know, all shades of the rainbow and, um, and um, you know, different social economic groups. I, I really think it, it's up to those of us who go, especially educators, to first just, just be present. Oh, wow. And that's, um, it, it, could, it could get a little, for me, a little contentious. <laughs> I feel like reaching out 
is always a great way of um, including people. But I think imaging, just showing, I think the imaging of makers has always been predominantly white male and not really women, white women, women of color, men of color. Um, so I think that just just the messaging needs to change. Just just really putting out that there are people who, who are doing this. They're doing it every day. Now everybody might not want to be visual. I did have this conversation with somebody around that. Um, but for the people who do want to be, who want their their images and their message and their and what they do to be out there, I think that should be something that that should happen. Um, imaging is number one, and then also just outreach and really making things accessible. Um, and yeah, I think accessibility, outreach and imaging, how you market things, how you image, how you how people see themselves or can see themselves in this movement is really, really huge. I, I guess the thing that keeps coming back into my head is, you know, that, that imaging piece, I think, for example, of Make Magazine, right, which is probably the one of the more popular publications that makers tend to read. And the folks that are largely in charge of both editing and um, producing that magazine are largely one specific type of group. So I'm trying to figure out how do you, I'm wondering is, is it enough to say, hey, you need to include more diverse groups within these, these images, within these advertisements, or you actually need to get people into those positions of power in those organizations. I'm kind of, I find myself going back and forth between the two and I'm not really sure which one makes more sense. Um, but I assume, I mean, so when, when you ladies are at conferences, do you find that um, your voice is taken seriously or that it's kind of pushed to the side? Because this is definitely something that I've heard from other folks at other ed tech conferences. I feel as if my voice is taken seriously. Um. I don't know, Cicely. I'm, I'm, I want to. I'm before I even keep talking. I'm curious to see what you how you feel about that. Um, I actually do think my voice is taken seriously. I, I, I don't think that people just dismiss my voice. Um, I'm just trying to figure out if people just don't know how to reach out <laughs> or or how this. I don't know. That's just something I've been trying to figure out. Like, how do you? Yeah, I need to think about that because I feel like my voice is being taken seriously. And then I have other colleagues of color who are doing amazing work. Um, Keenan Scott is um, doing amazing work and Paula Mitchell um, is doing some great work here in Oakland. And I feel like their voices are, are also being heard. I, I just, yeah, I don't know. Well, let's take it down to the student perspective for a second because there are certain programs that have popped up specifically around coding, you know, the big one that I'm thinking of, and Cecily, I'm, sure, I, I'm guessing that maybe you've heard of it because I think it started in Oakland is Black Girls Code. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, we've got these coding programs around students of color that have started popping up, but what about the bigger maker movement in general, right? Like, do we need more programming around that, specifically geared towards students of color? And if so, where should those programs come from? Like, who should who should be the people to stand up and say, you know, we need to do more of this work? That's a good question. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't been able to, I don't know if, I don't know if it should be one person or a group of people. I do feel that maker ed is, 
seeing that the that the diversity in what they're doing is lacking and they're working on improving that. So I know that that is actually happening. I think it's just going to take time and just working with different groups of people and different community members as a whole to just get it to work. I don't think it's one person or a group of particular people. I think it's going to have to take the effort of a lot of groups of people working all together to really make it happen. It can't be just on the back of one person. Um, it's going to have to be a shared effort. And I also think, I'm sorry, sister, are you finished? Yes, I, I am. Done. I also think it can't be on the back of just those who are underrepresented. I think that in, in order for there to truly be change in these areas or, you know, where there is one group and one group that is speaking for the masses. And clearly there are groups of people who are underrepresented or oftentimes just not represented at all. We can't just wait on those who are underrepresented to say, hey, we're not in this space. We need to hear voices from people who are in those spaces and say, we, we want a change. We want different voices. So I, do, I, do, I think oftentimes when it comes to seeking change, um, that it's often put on, on, the, on the back of, you know, the group that's not represented to say something. But I, that, that really needs to come from, from more than that group of people. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly, Nicole. And there are, I've, this year I've witnessed that that other people are saying, hey, we're lacking diversity. We're lacking this and we're lacking that. So I feel like that movement of what you just said is starting to happen. It just need, We just need more of it and just keep pushing it, I guess. But it, yeah, you're right. We sh It shouldn't always have to fall on the backs of, of people who are underrepresented minorities to have to say, hey, we're not here. <laughs> That's what happens a lot of the time. And if we don't say nothing, then they're like, oh, everything's okay. And it's like, no, it's not okay. But people need to also say something. It shouldn't always have to be the usual suspects that do it. And that's the beauty of a groundswell movement, right? Is that it, as it starts to gain more momentum, more people from not just underrepresented groups, but really anybody can come in and support that. And I'm hoping that when folks listen to this podcast, they sort of take that away and the other thing I really want them to take away is sort of why you ladies believe that the maker movement can have an impact in K-12. So for sort of our last big question, and you know, you can go however long or however short you want to do with this, why do you think the maker movement has the ability to change K-12 education for the better? Um, I, I'll go first. From what I've seen in the last two years of really um, incorporating maker and what I do with my students from both schools, I've worked at two schools. When I see my students have access to different tools that they can use on top of whatever they have, it's, it, it, makes, it makes your educational experience a lot greater. It also exposes children to, to, to tools and other things they might not necessarily get once they leave school. Um, it, it really, for me, I think it just really pushes on growth mindset, all the awesome buzzwords of, of the day, but really just growth mindset and really just and how you think and how you solve a problem and how you deal with failure and how you deal with disappointment and how you 
design something and think about it in a different way or even change your mind or how you might collaborate with somebody. Um, I feel like all those elements just automatically come out when you're making something that could be drawing a picture or cooking or crocheting or even solving a puzzle on a coding program. I think all of that comes out when you're just doing it. Just everyone's a maker. And, and I feel that aspect of this movement is helping to bring that back, that everyone's a maker, everyone has a skill and whatever you bring to the table is valued. I feel sometimes in education, because everything is so test scored heavy, if you didn't do well in your test, then that means you suck as a human being. And some kids have other abilities and other intelligence that don't always get recognized because they're always seen as this test score or, they, or this kid that doesn't do well. And I feel like making helps bring those other things out and makes children feel like they're capable and able to do whatever they put their mind to it. They might not do it the traditional way, but there is a way to get to the means that you need to get to. So I'm always down for making. I'm always will be down for making. Ball on the budget is what I do best. <laughs> I've learned that from my mother, just watching her make dresses out of fabric that you wouldn't believe she could make a dress or outfit from and it'd be dirt cheap. Um, yeah, I just feel like making in K-12 is going to be able to give children more access to different things that they never had a chance to get access to and open up doors for them that they might not thought would be open if they didn't have the exposure to these particular things. I love that. All right, Nicole, last thoughts? I agree. I just think making helps to, to build students' confidence. Um, oftentimes, you'll see when you have them, and you're, you know, they're still learning. Said, it's still learning, it's still academic, but it, it's more of a, um, it's a non-traditional setting. A lot of the same skills that um, oftentimes are sometimes frowned upon in uh, the more traditional classroom setting, that you'll see those kids take that maker confidence and that maker mindset and apply it to, to their classroom learning. That's one of the biggest things that um, I want for students and also for teachers. It's good for teachers to to fail and, and to, to, to be able to think through and to have that same mindset um, as students. Excellent. I could not agree enough. Failure is a part of the classroom and to pretend it isn't is just really missing out. So Nicole, Cecily, thank you guys so much for hopping on the EdSurge podcast. We really appreciate it. This has been the EdSurge On Air podcast. This episode was produced and edited by me, Mary Jo Matta, and advertisements were read by Alice Meyerhoff. You can give us a grade on the quality of this podcast by rating us on iTunes or sending an email to us at feedback at edsearch.com. You can also subscribe on the iPhone podcast app, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back again next week with more on the future of education. We'll see you then.